How are you doing, Miss Fenton? How have you done any of this? We have to go back. Oh, it's too late for that. We're close to the other side. What other side? You want to join us both? You want to know how I did it? This is how I did it, Anton. I never saved anything for the swim back. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Gabe, you look like you're in a witness protection thing it sounds like it looks like your voice should be like hello hi i'm gabe like the guy with the tracheotomy so tell us about your experience being a whistleblower i can't talk about it right now uh witness protection program (laughs) i mean what 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 can we talk about gabe you you tell us what you you want to talk about this is the road report number five how's the road going with local h How's the road going with Local H? Uh, it looks it's like so, a nice hotel you're in, Scott. It, yeah, it's a pretty nice hotel. Uh, we're home for a couple of days before our last show, two shows with Soul Asylum. So it, it, the Soul Asylum part of the tour is coming to an end. And I see that you did break out Runaway Train. Have you been All doing right, that listen, every night of the tour? We now? broke out run, Runaway Train. And, How'd uh, that go over? Like a lead balloon? I don't think I'm, uh, you know, uh, telling stories at a school. I, I don't think I'm, uh, you know, uh, the first to say this or the first to break this. But Dave's a fucking asshole. And so, uh, <laughs> like, the idea, like, we, you know, we were going to play uh, Runaway Train as sort of like, a, you know, a farewell as a tip tip of the hat, if you will, to the fellas and, you know, just sort of like our time's coming to an end and a little tribute. So we've been talking about like playing Woe for a while or playing uh, some, some Time to Return. But then I was like, why don't we, instead of playing like some song they don't play, you know, uh, let's play Runaway Train, you know, let's play, let's go for the big one. And uh, so... We were learning it backstage just before we played it, and and midway through, I stopped and I said to Ryan, "I was like, is this a bad idea?" He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, uh, "Do you think you know they're gonna get pissed? Do you think Dave's gonna get pissed? I mean, is this is this wrong to like you know play their big hit song?" And and he's like, "No." Ryan's like, "No, they'll think it's funny, you know." And 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 the audience will be psyched because they get to hear the song twice. And I go, oh, "Okay, that." That does make sense. Even though knowing everything I know about Dave Perner, I was like, okay, all right, all right, all right. So, we, you know, we start playing the song and we're up there. And I'm like, you know, this is the end of the t- 
tour with these guys and we want to play this song for them and, because it's a great song. And we start playing Runaway Train. And, you know, the band, like, everyone's looking around and Janine's looking and, like, taking video and guitar tech's up there. And everything's going well. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it sounds good. And people seem to be getting the spirit that's taken. And, and then Dave walks on stage and I was like, uh-oh, here we go. grabs my guitar and I don't really know what I thought he was going to do. Um, but he takes it and then just, and then we stop and take the guitar back. And I'm like, yeah, we figured that might happen. And everyone laughs and Ryan laughed. And then we had like three songs left and each song was more aggressive than the last. And I started getting more and more pissed. I was like, the fuck you know there was a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this and i thought that was the wrong way so by the time i'm i'm off stage i am fucking hot 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 and just pissed off and, and ryan's like oh you know they said it was a joke i'm like that was no fucking joke and so he's like well go confront him then and so i'm like you're right so i go back there i'm like what the fuck's wrong with you you got a problem with what i did and just goes on and on and on all right so I won't get into what was said back there, but... What? No, come on, man. This is the best part. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I'm like, fuck these guys. Not, not fuck these guys. Fuck that guy. Fuck Dave Perner and fuck this tour and everything. And then we go back with them yesterday after a couple of days of not seeing them because we had a bit of a break after that show. And Dave's like, hey, Scott, I missed you. And I'm like, what? So, I mean, already he won, you know, he was just like, after the show, he was like, you didn't really think I was serious about that, did you? You didn't really think I was mad. And I'm like, yes, you were mad. Why are you pretending that you weren't? He goes, oh, come on. I was just playing with you. And he was saying that he, there's this time they were on Letterman and he pulls out a trumpet and Paul Schaefer came out and grabbed the trumpet out of his hand. And that's what he was saying he was doing. Now, if that's what was happening... I don't know. I almost feel like I'm being gaslit, gaslighted here, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, we, we didn't, you know, we smoked a joint in lieu of a peace pipe last night. Um, oh, that's nice. and it was, it was a, it was a love fest, but, but you didn't play oh, the song again. Oh no, <laughs> I'm not going to play the song. I know he was mad and he will not admit it. You know, but that's he, how you it, could win. Play the song for the last two nights and you might beat him. Two nights. Uh, I don't know. What do you have? I don't know. You have two nights left. I mean, I can see. Yeah, we got two more shows. I mean, I can see. That's what I'm talking about, Gabe. I know this tour better than you do. Yeah. Two nights. Better than me. But not just play it the last night. You want to play both nights so they can get up short of the tour in the last night. Well, Dave has just said, I I thought it was funny. It was was a joke. I wasn't mad. So if he's not mad, keep playing the song. He could have been covering his butt and his ego saying, no, I just fucked around. But maybe he was around going along with a gag 
just to play along, but then maybe he thought better of it and said, ah, oh, maybe I should cover my butt here and say, it was a joke. I was going along with it too. I don't know. I don't know, but, uh, but, uh, oh, oh, I was bummed out. He was like, yeah, I was worried about you. I was all, all, uh, bummed out the past couple of days. Cause I thought you were upset. And I was like, oh, you were bummed out. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. So that's kind of what happened with that. Um, it was not a good idea or a good idea. I, I see. I don't even know what I think anymore. The guy's got me bamboozled, yeah. flustered. That guy's got your number. I feel he's like he's got my fucking got number, you. and I hate it. But uh, I'll tell you. Uh, there you go. My band once opened for Sil Sylvain of the New York Dolls. Yeah. And he had put out a couple solo albums, and he put out this one solo album which had which had this song on it called Formidable. Do you know this song? Mm-mm. I think he wrote it with David Johansson. Anyway, it's a great song. And I found out we were opening for him, and I was like, oh my God, I would love to play a cover of this Formidable song. Right. But so I reached out, tried to find, I, I don't think I actually talked to Syl, but it, Somebody got in touch with somebody in his camp. Said, "Do you guys still play Formidable on uh, on stage live?" And the word came back, "No." And would he mind if we played it? No. And so we learned it and played it, and he was in the audience and loved it. So I don't know. You got to take a lesson from me, maybe, and just uh... <laughs> Ben. How is that story helpful? It isn't. But hey, Radke, if you're listening, and I know you guys are, because you're big little age fans. I think you guys should bust out Bound every night on the... That would be great. Well, I mean, why would they want to? Who, who, who would want to do that? <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. Ah, oof. I mean, I can see that, yes, it could be a problem. Um, so, in a way, I think he had every right to put an end to that. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, the, the main thing is like well nobody cared and it was it was everyone thought it was funny and i'm like that's not the way i saw it in grand rapids it was wrong who knows guys too sensitive but you didn't know i was too sensitive did you ben no i heard you were a prickly pear the too sensitive thing i don't know i didn't know got nothing on dave perner (laughs) dave perner is a bastard uh hey actually that reminds me of a clip you sent me we're going to be sprinkling this episode with clips because Scott's been the intrepid reporter, journalist, right. I would like to say, right on tour, interviewing various people and annoying them. I, don't cons- I, so, uh, I do not legally consent to this. So when, when did you start working with Soul Man, 2007? I earlier than that. Earlier than that? No, so you worked with Soul Asylum, and then you start working with Soul Asylum, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you came on pretty early after me, man. I'll get them later. Annoying them. And there's a clip. I can't remember if you're talking to Jeremy from Soul Asylum or Ryan from Soul Asylum, but the subject of the name of their bus comes up. Yes. And it turns out, well, maybe we should just play that clip now. So here's that clip. You guys have a name, you have a name for your van? No. Do we? It was Prish, but then you changed it. 
Me? You called it Prisha on like one of those YouTube I bands. N- I don't name vehicles. Some it's bands, not something that, Some bands, that's a thing. I'm sure they do. What's what's the, the, the bus's name? And the bus, our bus and, is the Risky Business. You know that, right? It is not. Yeah, it is. It's Bull called Risky Business. Shit. Right it's called the Risky right. Business. I was arguing with right Parner last it, night about Risky Business. I think he mentioned that. <laughs> but yeah, that's the name of the bus. Do you I, like Risky Business? I, the movie. I saw it when I was young. I have. I can't remember it. I can just remember the, the sliding across the floor or whatever. See, but that's all anybody remembers. I don't remember but I think the that movie is super, by and, by and large, by most people, I think that movie is super misunderstood. It is one of the five best movies of the 80s. You said it's like a, what, based off of like how you get, how capitalism It's about capitalism. Yeah. It, it, it's it's I have all, to it as an adult. it's completely, uh, it's subversive. It's, it's it's supposed to be a teen comedy, and it's so much more. It's not it's not that at all. It's a great fucking movie. Well, maybe we should watch Risky Business on the Risky Business after we grill some risky. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to. Yeah, you are. No, because if Perner starts talking shit about Risky Business, I will He's lose it. Around. He got up early today. He's probably going to be sleeping by then. I'm not going on the bus anymore. I've made a, I've made a decision. I'm not going on that fucking bus. Yes, you are. <laughs> Perfect. And now we come back from that clip, and so wow, Ben's got it all figured out. I'm I'm impressed. <laughs> There's Dave Perner busting your balls about risky business one night, and then a couple nights later, you find out that's the name of their goddamn bus. That's right. That's right. See, that's how it goes out on tour with those guys. I can't take it anymore. Yeah. I'm about to break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the last time I saw you guys, Gabe, your, your internet went down oh, while yeah. we were waiting in Detroit. Yes, uh, we had a power surge, and with my AT&T fiber, you got to go in the garage and reset the stupid outlet on the wall, and I didn't realize that. It took me half an hour to realize that. My wife said... You got to push the button on the wall. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. So I never even got back, and I, I lost connection. Hopefully that won't happen again. Yeah, well, they finally showed up. Uh, and uh, I talked to Jeremy for a little bit. He had a lot of good things to say. And uh, my first question to him was, to so how did you get mixed up with Soul Asylum? Um, I came into the band as Dave's Guitar Tech Okay. about five years ago. Oh, not the bass tech? No, just yeah. Well, usually the band has one tech, so it's kind of it's kind of the all tech, you know, uh-huh. all the guys. But really, all the guys need to keep an eye on Dave, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. So I did that. Um, I met Bland a little bit earlier because I do studio stuff, and he hired me for a session or whatever. And was like, all right, JT seems okay, man. You know, to, you know try him out here, try him out there. What was the session like? A- he was just, uh, he works with this artist named Meta in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a eclectic, kind of, you know, he, he works with his a lot protege. Of, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just, there was this, there was this little studio out in Wisconsin that he wanted to try out. He had never been there. And I think he was kind of like, well, I've never been to this place, so I don't know if those engineers are any good. Uh-huh. I've heard about this kid, but I don't know if he's any good either. Made us paying the bill. I'm right. going to take everybody out there and see what's what. And we had a, you know, we had a good hang. And he was like, how, how have I not met you before? And then it turns out, like, he starts to reveal, like, he had done a bunch of research about me already. Uh-huh. Listen to some like, records that I had played on and some stuff I would record on. I was like, you know, he's like, I heard that Scarlet Hayes record came out. And I was like, who the fuck's playing drums on this shit, man? And it was me or whatever. Yeah. So it was like, so he had already 
like he's he knows everyone in town and scopes people out and like he likes to connect dots and like I might not need him, but this guy might or whatever. Like, you know, people in town are like, Michael, man, we're looking for a bass player. And he's like, ooh, you should try. Right. And he's got, he just knows everyone in town because everyone wants to know him. So Detroit, when I was, uh, when I was picking songs for the playlist, yeah, last week's playlist, uh, I was trying to figure out what Motown song to put in there, what the best Motown song would be. So I started, I went to Wikipedia and I was reading about Motown. And here's something that blew my mind. Uh, while I was reading about it, it, it said that Motown's producers believed in what they called the KISS principle. Capital K-I-S-S. The KISS principle, which is keep it simple, stupid. And then suddenly, like, just a light went off in my head. I was like, oh my God, is that what KISS means? Is that where they got the name? Does anybody know? Well, I know as a kid... They all, we were always being told. Kids in Satan's service. Knights in Satan's service. Oh, Knights in Satan's service. What'd you say? Yeah, yeah Knights in Satan's service. Okay. But I think it's keep it simple, stupid. And if it is keep it simple, stupid, they have, they're, they're, they're brilliant then. The music is is that motto it, to perfection. It's a crystallization of that motto. Like if that's the concept of kiss, they fucking nailed it over and over and over and over, which makes me realize I didn't get it like in, in a real honest way of not getting it. Not like the, you know, like I don't get some band, uh, or I don't get uh, Ted Leo or is it Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, not Ted Leo. I get Ted Leo. Oh, you get Ted Leo. I get Ted Leo, but, but, Kiss, there, it, it stands for keep it simple, stupid. It's brilliant. So I don't think that uh, Kiss is the ICP of anything anymore, Gabe. Uh, didn't I? Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was a great line that I said to my buddy. I said, Kiss is the insane Com posse of the 70s. And I just, I just wanted to get that out there. And I, I just wanted to leave it out there because... Like a fart? <laughs> I have to let it linger, like the song says. Mm-hmm. Like a cranberry fart. As a kid, I didn't understand Kiss at all. My next-door neighbors, who were even younger than I was, they had all the Kiss albums, and they would drag me over to the house just to show me all the right. album artwork and the gatefold sleeves and all that stuff. But the music, I didn't know any of their songs, except maybe for Beth. <laughs> and then what made what, what, what turned the corner for me with Kiss was, as like with everything, was the replacement. Ah. It was hearing Black Diamond on Let It Be and thinking, oh, this is pretty good. And then I saw the replacements one night at the Ritz and they opened with Rock and Roll All Night and I was just like, whoa, this is fucking I'm not awesome. a big fan of that Kiss cover, Black Diamond. It's, it's, it's the one song I, I skip over on that record. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I, I sort of felt that way too, but I, and it's, it's not that I thought it was that great, but I was like, okay, well, Paul West. These guys like Kiss, so, so yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I think it, uh, if that's where they got the name, I mean, you know, they're old enough to have been uh, big Motown fans, so it's not like they wouldn't have known about that. Um, have you done any research? Have you looked it up? I haven't, you know, and I almost enjoy talking about it more than I do just looking this shit up. What'd you find? Well, I don't want to reveal too much, but I'll say one thing about it is that there... They're saying, hey, you got to make sure you understand what this principle is. It's keep, keep it simple, stupid, 
not keep it simple, comma, stupid. They're not, they're not oh. saying keep it simple, stupid. They're saying keep it simple, stupid. Like So they're not saying, it's, it's not like it's the economy, stupid? Right. I think it is. Who's saying it's not that? I don't know. Somebody on <laughs> Project Simplify. Ryan Smith, first of all, what do you love about music? I love that music keeps us alive. See, you were supposed to say, first of all, everything. Oh, yes. Uh, almost famous. Almost famous, right, yeah. right, right. First, exactly. first of all, everything. <laughs> to, or is it to begin with? Everything. And then they start playing Tangerine. Yep. Right. So you, like... Every day, are you giving lessons every day from the road? Not every day, but most days. I'm doing at least some days off. I've given upwards of 12 lessons in a day on mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. So do people are people showing up, and or is it all Zoom stuff? It's all Zoom. Okay, because yeah. I saw you outside one day uh, by a tree, and it looked like you were giving lessons. Oh, yeah, that was to my. Was there a person there? Or was a. It was a tree. It was a tree. You're giving lessons I, to a tree. See the tree. You know, I have this thing where I talk to inanimate objects and trees. And Do you like to tree, commune with the yeah, yeah. nature? Yeah. So I think I was giving the tree a lesson. I was either giving the tree a lesson or I was on a Zoom call. Usually it takes a saw to teach a tree yeah, a lesson. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was, uh, I think that's what it was. So when did you start playing with Solo About, well, it was the year 2016, so five years ago. Really? Yeah. How did that happen? That's an interesting question. Um, another band I've been in for many years, the Melismatics. We had opened for, for Soul Sound a bunch of times, and Michael started sending me some emails like, hey, man, can you learn some songs? You want to show up? It was very cryptic. And then it was like suddenly, <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know why, you know? And then it was like, and then one day he said, can you come on down and play, you know, I don't know, 25 songs? And then we came down there. We just basically ran a show. He's like, oh, well, then can you go to the next weekend? Can you go to Philadelphia? Or, yeah, it was Philadelphia and somewhere in Texas, Dallas. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. Then then we did that the next weekend. Then he said, you guys, you want to go on tour the next summer? And did that. So, it, I don't know. It was just kind of this weird process of getting cryptic emails from Michael and then learning songs fast and just playing. Right. So, Michael is basically, because it almost seems like Michael was in charge of drafting Jeremy as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Dave was also, I think, equally in charge of that, but Michael was doing like the legwork of it. And and I think Michael is, he is that kind of guy where he's piecing things in his brain together all the time. He's got a very active mind. You know, he's yes. always piecing things like yeah. together and, you know, planning and thinking and working things out in his mind. So I think, I think that it was probably, it had to be both. I mean, for sure. But um, Michael's one sending the emails. Dave didn't, doesn't to this day have email. So that would never happen. Not surprising in any way. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Does that surprise you? No, I'm surprised he even has a phone. <laughs> He's not giving his number out to anybody. Not, not to me. So, uh, Ben, mm. uh, thank you. 
because I, uh, I had a dream the other night about Val Kilmer as Mark Twain. Um, <laughs> don't do that to me again. Well, you need to watch the documentary to purge it from your system. Do I? I mean, I'm I afraid what's going to happen afterwards. It's going to be like, like watching Oz or something. Well, yeah, that's a problem. Uh, we got a lot of uh, comments and questions from our last episode on the old mm -hmm. SoundCloud. And Jeremy Noren, of course, is a regular with these things. He's got a question, which I think is an interesting question. He says, cool. is that Gabe laughing at the end of Back in the Day? Yes, it is. Aha, uh because -huh, he, he, he heard Gabe laughing in our last episode. And he said, that just sounded like a sample from the song. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just assume everybody knew that. Mm. I, I can't imagine anybody who listens to this Ouch. regularly would know that. Sorry, Jeremy, you just got... Is it not obvious that it's you, Gabe? You got to put two and two together from a record that's 20-something years old and say, hold on a second, I remember that laugh, but now I'm listening 20-something years later to this dude on a podcast, there's the same laugh. There's not many people making that connection. That's true. That's a good point. Nobody hears, nobody's heard Gabe laugh throughout the years, except for you, Scott Lucas. But uh, it, it's a laugh. Oh, and it you says, make Gabe laugh. Remember that? It says, be cool at the end of that record. Remember? Right. Be it cool. Says, be cool. Be cool. <laughs> that, that's, that's from when we made you laugh and I kept recording it. Or I, I had you record yourself under the ruse that you were doing something else other than recording yourself. I mean, you pretty much knew that I was going to use it for something, probably. I knew you were recording. You were going to say you were going to save it for later. Uh, but that was my saying to for for Joe to stop making fun of people. Like, be cool. Hey. Right. Right. Oh, you were in the Melismatics. Yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, how long were you in the Melismatics before then? That's the band I started. Um, so I was in that band for for 15 years. Tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you asked, um, that was a band I started just writing songs and finding people around that would play and starting collaborating with the people. It became like a, a family almost, I would say, you know? Yeah. Well, you guys know how it is. Like when you're, you know, that's that's the Mellows Max played in a van. We play 150 shows a year, which isn't probably as many as you guys do. But like, it's it's, it's enough where it's a lot of shows where you're in close quarters and and you feel like you're some kind of gang family. So that's how it felt. Did you go straight from that to the Soul Asylum gig, or was there like a few years where you're like, oh, what am I doing? Well, along the way, I played with a bunch of different bands too. So because I played. I started a long time ago when I started the Mel's Max. I was also playing with Mark Malman, this musician from Minneapolis, Grant Hart from Muskerdu, and then, um, God, who did I? So then I started playing with Phil Solem. I was his bass player, and then played bass for some Rembrandt stuff. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, actually, so if I remember right, I was supposed to do a Rembrandt's tour, and then that got 
turned into them doing acoustic duos. And I remember very specifically the day I found that out was the day Michael like actually called me asking me if I'd be interested in playing with Soul Asylum. So, so Mel's Max is my main thing. And then I was, you know, Twin Cities music scene is super, um, super incestuous. So Mm -hmm. you're always like, Getting into other people's bands, right. and but you're one yeah. of the go-to guys, kind of. Not, not, not I, to, I'm not trying to make you toot your own horn or anything, toot your tutor, but you know, I've been in a lot of people's bands, so yeah. you could say that. I mean, that's a fact. So, and you know, but that's how that scene is. Yeah. Hey man, you're in our band for a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Right. There you go. Ben, I'm gonna ask you if you. Have it in your mind that we're gonna get the replacements in on every episode. Is that what is that your plan? The master plan? <laughs> I mean, no, I because, don't have the master I mean, plan. But it, why? What do you get a problem with that? No, no, no. When oh. when when Scott asked, "Hey, be cool, man." When Scott asked, "Would you like to do a podcast?" Little did I know that I'd be talking about the replacements once a week for the rest of my life. Right. Well, <laughs> when he asked me if I want to do a podcast, little did I know we'd be talking about Iron Maiden for that. Every week for the rest of my life. Guys, guys, don't fight. I can't take any more fighting in my life. Maiden just put out the best record of the year. Of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the best record of their life, not of their lifetime, of their past 20 years. Yeah, but we were talking about them for 29 episodes before the album came out. (laughs) In anticipation. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Tim Curry. (laughs) I mean, how fucking weird has this tour been for you? It's been weird. It has been weird. I think we probably all feel it's so different than the tour that we were all together on when it ended. I mean, it's just such a different world. It's like you don't know what you're getting into with every city now because the, the way the country's just so weird. You go into a new... It's like going to a new planet every time you're in a new city almost. And you don't know. Are people just going to be amped up to see live music or is there going to be a large percentage of people who don't want to go out because they don't feel safe or they just don't want to contribute to spreading a pandemic or are there people that don't want to follow any rules and have regulations you just it's just like this is crazy right everyone's everyone seems to have their reasons for not wanting to come to a show yeah yeah speaking of stuff that we talk about all the time tijuana flats gabe Listen to me. Listen to me right now, Scott. When they have a salsa Hear me bar, now. Believe me later. <laughs> they have a salsa bar with the kick your mama's ass, slap whatever it is, slap your... Slap your mama. Slap call your mama you Sally stuff. Red. They got all these different hot sauces. You might like that. Just see, see the, 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 hot sa- the hot sauce bar is a red flag. No. Yes, it is. It is. And I, I looked at the pictures... Gabe, that place looks like it's one step away from Chipotle. So if that place becomes your new favorite, I don't know what to say to you anymore. I went to, we picked a dart on the map and said, find me Mexican. And Heidi says, let's go to Tijuana Flats. We were going to go to the one in Orlando on the way here, but it was, I couldn't find park. That dart sucks then. No, no, no. We hit it on the donkey's ass on this one. (laughs) (laughs) And Tijuana Flats has some really good salsa. Wesley Willis, really? (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm pulling out Wesley Taylor. Willis quotes on me. I was saying, pin the tail on the donkey, and uh, the donkey, you, whatever. Are you drunk? Rock on, Chicago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rock over London, rock on, Chicago. 
Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions. Wesley Willis made it to the podcast. I don't know. That place looks like... It might be good. No. It looks like... Anybody from the, the Florida area or south that knows about Tijuana Flats, let us know if it's any good. If, if you like their chimichangas or their salsa, it was good. They had some fresh lemonade. It was, it was from a freshly made stuff. I, I don't know what you call it. It was good. It looks like that place scrubbed the Mexican out of the Mexican's food. Well, as I was saying, they put way too much emphasis on wings. I'm like, that's not a Mexican place. No, no, see, no, no, Gabe, this place disqualified. No, just because they have wings and salsa bar doesn't make, doesn't disqualify them from being good food, you know. Okay. Well, it's not, it, it, it doesn't qualify them. <laughs> Are you playing uh, Tampa or St. Pete when you come down here? If you, if you come uh, close this way, we'll stop at Tijuana Flats. No. I don't think I want to go to Tijuana Flats. I'm sorry. You're going to prejudge it right now and say it's not good enough. I looked at those pictures, and it looked like, it looked like taco night at my Aunt Helen's. I mean, it did not look like <laughs> fucking Mexican food. I didn't know you had an and if it was, and if that kind of thing is okay with you, uh, what? You don't think I have an Aunt Helen? <laughs> Eleven Helens agree. That place does not look good. My family was friends with a family that lived in Watertown, New York, which is all the way upstate, and they had a dairy farm. <laughs> and uh, these were in the days. There were days, and I don't know. People don't believe me when I say this. When the rest of the country didn't really know of pizza as an actual thing. And and these guys would try to make pizza and they would make pizza. Ben, you're saying there were days when people didn't know that pizza existed? Well, they didn't understand the basic principles of pizza outside of the East Coast. In my Which are? Well, in Watertown, New York, uh, they tried to make some pizza and they made them, I think, on English muffins. And okay, English muffin pizza is a thing you could do at your house. Mm. But it would be like ketchup... And mm. American cheese. And Gabe's all for it. No. <laughs> Ketchup and pizza should never cross paths. I don't know. Who can make. Open pit now. Open pit is good on pizza. Well, what about American cheese? That should not be on a pizza. No. So, no. so in Watertown, that's, that's what they would do. They would make shit pizzas, what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Huh. All right. So what were you doing before I interrupted you? Uh, I was just... Taking in a wink from Ryan, and I was winking back. No, before you. Oh, before I came in here and interrupted you. Oh, what was I doing? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I was going through my email. I was just checking my emails. That's not super exciting. But. So it's like a backstage rock and roll party on the Soul yeah. Sound tour all the time, twenty four seven, checking emails, responding to messages, hydrating. booking <laughs> lessons, hydrating. Sometimes how, eating sandwiches. Uh-huh. How long, <laughs> what kind of sandwiches did you get today? I haven't gotten one yet. That's still going to happen. I think I, I kind of want the... Go? Yeah, I kind of want to get the Rick Rubin, you know, because of the name. It's just the... It's pretty stellar. I it's mean, a stellar name. That's a stellar Yeah. Maybe you should get the Rubin Kincaid instead. Oh, the Rubin Kincaid. Stuttered. Wow. I, I don't know. Beat there. 
That's a, that's a deep. I thought Ruben Kincaid was deeper, but I guess Ruben stuttered. My, well, no. I guess it depends on who you are. Yeah. Uh, you didn't really, we didn't really get into this. We were talking about the cars last week, and he was about to get into this, but we didn't. Uh, what does Gabe think of the police? You were going to say what you thought of the police, and you never got around to it. Uh, I, I can appreciate their, uh, their music. I mean, I like, I like it, but I, I just don't understand the, the reggae-ness from Australia. Like, how, how does reggae make it to Australia? Is that where they're from? No, you're thinking of men at work. <laughs> the police are from England? Where are they from? They're from England. Well, Stuart are Copeland... They? Stuart Copeland's from Copeland America. an American motherfucker. Right. Hold on a second. You're blowing my mind. Police are from England, but the drummer... Yes, Andy and Sting are from England, but Stu is from uh, America. Okay, that, maybe that makes more sense than, than... Andy and Gordon, if you're nasty. That's right. Gordo. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I find it weird to watch that the part it. play. He just All doesn't... The, ne- he doesn't need the police in his collection, is what I've got. Well, the English punks in the 70s were all really into reggae. So right. that's where that comes from. Okay, but, but has it ever occurred to you that Men at Work is, is to the police what Queensryche is to Iron Maiden? I, I say that, yes, and I, I, don't, I don't disagree, but I still like Men at Work. Yeah, but they're they're to the police what uh, the Goo Goo Dolls are to right. replacements. All right, I want right. to talk about the Goo Goo Dolls for a second. First of all, I'm Please. I don't want to talk about the replacements anymore because now I'm at the point like where when Scott started playing Bastards of Young on his cell phone last episode, I'm now listening to it through Gabe's ears, and I'm like, this even before he said it, I'm like, you know. This does, does sound kind of like the Goo Goo Dolls uh, coming from the phone into the microphone, and I don't want to think that. It's annoying. But I also well, it doesn't. There were no, no Goo Goo Dolls. In real life, it doesn't. But listening to Gabe's ears, I'm like, oh, I see what he's I see what he's talking about. I mean, the the Goo Goo Dolls were were clearly ripping off the replacements. I will say, I don't understand why you're so familiar with the Goo Goo Dolls game. <laughs> A band you don't like at all, you know a lot more about them than you know about their replacements. I don't understand what's going on. Because they had more radio hits. Why are you so why are you so mano a mano with the fucking goo goo dolls? Why do you know their whole catalog? No. I, I don't know the whole catalog, but for, they but, were getting big when you know the, the A lot of bands were getting big at that time that you don't know one yeah, single but, song but, from. The song We Are the Normal. It's just terrible. That was it's never a, even a hit. It's a terrible song. Which Paul was first there, Did you see them live a, a lot or something, Gabe? No, I, I just got a, I got a thing against the Goo Goo Dolls. I'm against them. Didn't but we it, have a friend that really thought the Goo Goo Dolls were great? Like, I hope not. Somebody that we used to go to shows with? No, no. There are no. two Goo Goo Dolls albums, Hold Me Up and uh, Superstar Car Wash. Those are good albums. Car Wash? Listen, <laughs> Ben, don't, don't get too close. Like, when... I know. When you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. And if you get too close to this thing with Gabe, you you know, that's, look at him. Look at him. He looks evil. We got to have, we got to have Gabe's voice on this episode go through like one of those, like those uh, pitch shifters. And also Gabe is, I'm going to have to, I got to get a picture of Gabe for the. Uh, this 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 image of Gabe is what's going to be <laughs> yeah this yeah <laughs> it's like it's like something out of Sling Blade or something like that it's terrifying yeah. I don't know I guess we're the normal can make this lifeless uh, playlist but that's a bad song there's nothing good about it 
And everything that I think about when I think the Blue Dolls is that song. I don't even know. I don't. I don't know the song. I don't even know it. And I don't want to know it. Play it. I'm, I'm happy. No, don't do it. Let's hear it. Let's hear the live version. Not that. <laughs> anyway. So guess, you started being the fill-in guy pretty pretty early so. on. That's yeah, kind of, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've just I've kind of always played everything. My dad's a bass player, like a jack of all trades. A little bit, I think. Yeah, I, my dad's a bass player. He played in a band. He joined a band the same year I was born. And played with them. What was the name of that? What kind of band, band was that? Spooner from Madison. Fucking hey, he was in Spooner. Wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. holy shit! And Spooner, obviously, for if anyone knows Spooner, the first thing you would know is like Butch Vig, Butch Vig right? Played drums in Spooner. Yeah. So I grew up watching Butch before, way before Nevermind. I idolized Butch way before, like when Smart wow. Studios had an eight track, and yeah. like, I wanted to play drums and make records. So and Butch was your guy. He was my guy yeah. before he was Butch. Right. Yeah, really, you know, but he was the coolest guy in my dad's band. He was a couple years younger and I just thought he was cool. But like, so my dad had basses and guitars. Butch had drums. Butch would like break a cymbal at a gig and then be like, hey man, put this on your kid or whatever, you know? So like, I started right away. Like, you know, I, I got pictures of me on a Smurfs drum set and I was like going down to sound check at Shank Hall in Milwaukee yeah. and like watching Spooner set up. And, yeah. like, and Spooner was a fucking great band. Like, good songwriting. Yeah. Those dudes all went on to do garbage. Like, to yeah. me, garbage sounds like Spooner right. with Shirley singing and all that new shit on it. But like, I hear Doug songwriting in it because that's like, I know those records inside and out. Right. Like, I thought my dad's band was the coolest shit ever. I found out about other bands later, kind of like, oh, there's more than just like, my dad has records. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, your life and that yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, right. Like, I just, it, it, it bummed me out when I like went to grade school. I'm like, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll meet all these kids that have like dads and bands and we'll start a band. And like, no one's dad was in a fucking band. I was no. like, oh shit, this isn't. Like, <laughs> I just thought that was just how it was, I guess. Right. You know, cool. so. Yeah, so I guess I've never thought about it, but yeah, I guess I did become the feeling guy kind of right away because I played bass, I played guitar, I was, you know, like the thing I would decent hang. So I was like, oh, dude, maybe maybe Jeremy would do it. Plus, I, I just love being on tour and I don't want to work ever and I just want to be in a band. So I'm like, let's go, man. If I can go, I'll go. Right. You know? Yeah. Pretty much. You so you got the bug pretty early and it was because of your dad. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever thought I was going to be anything but a musician. I dropped out of high school to do that first tour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my parents were just kind of like, I'm surprised you made it all the way to senior year. You know? <laughs> like, so, well, it's interesting you know, to right. me that, that, that also the recording Yeah, got well, that was the Butch thing, the Butch too. thing, I mean, right. I was like, I got to see the sound check thing. It, I was too it makes so much sense show. to me now. Right, but I was watching them make records, and Butch was really learning his craft. Like I said, I... They still had an 8-track reel-to-reel, and they were across the street, and I watched the move and the growth, and like, and because Spooner was Butch's band, they were the guinea pigs for him to like not just do the weekend, okay, you guys got 300 bucks, let's make a 7-inch. Right. Like, he was trying to figure out how to make big albums right. with his own band, so they would be in there anytime anything wasn't going on, and like... I just always wanted to hang around. I'm sure, you know, looking back on it, I'm sure having like a 10 year old kid hanging out in the studio and you're like trying to smoke pot and like have your girlfriend stop by and yeah. you're like, hey, Joel, get your fucking kid out of here. <laughs> you know? But like, I loved every minute of it, man. You yeah. know, and like as soon as I could, I all of a sudden, like, my dad came home one day and I pulled the bed out of the bedroom and brought in a love seat and set up my four track. And like, I turned my bedroom in a control room. And yeah. Like, Where are you going to sleep? I'm like, I'll sleep on the couch. Oh, yeah. fuck it. You know, yeah. like, I was just 
you know, like I said, I, there was never, I never got into anything else. Like I knew I was going to play. Right. Yeah. You never gave yourself an option. Wasn't on, wasn't on the baseball team. Wasn't like, you know, all the pictures going back. Like I can show you pictures of me playing drums on Tupperware and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Like this is, this is it for me. I'm stuck. Yeah. So it's all good though. I love it. You, you do? Yeah. 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 I still love it. It's a grind. I don't have to tell you guys. But, yeah. But... I thought, you know, what else am I going to do? Like, get a job? Absolutely not. No way. <laughs> My wife knows. She's still supportive of it. You know, God bless her. But, yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah. That's why, I, it's funny. I, I loved it when we first met you guys and the whole, you're riding the lifers thing and name and stuff, lifers. And it was like, I, I've often, me and a buddy, Jonah, who I've known, who's also, you know, Jonah's in his 50s now. He's been doing nothing but music his whole life. We played together in a band called Gratitude for a few years. Right. I've been in a zillion bands. Anyway, um, but he, he was like, you know, he would say, he was like, right away when I met you, I knew you were a lifer. You know, right. like, it was like, I've always liked that term. Like, it was kind of flown around in my camp. And, you know, I was, I don't know if it was me and you or me and Ryan were talking the other day about, like, there are certainly dudes that you meet and you're like, all right, I got one. This is a ride or die. Like, this is another lifer. We're going to start this band and go forever. And then, whether it's three years or five years or ten years, like they drop off and you're like, oh shit, I thought you were fine. Right. You're not. You're, yeah, sometimes you're, you're it's just like, real estate it's like now, you're people. Doing, and it's all good. And like, it's probably the right move. Yeah. But sometimes I, it it's like, me. it's yeah. like uh, experimenting with lesbianism in college. You know, it's, it doesn't stick. Depends on what. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think that says enough right there. It just doesn't stick. No, yeah. I love when I say something like that to Jeremy and he just goes and then there's that awkward silence it was like the Michael and I go thing. yeah I the yesterday the other night, like, oh we're just gonna put a pin in that man alright I wanted I do want to talk about songwriting for a second and the, and the Taylor Swift thing had me thinking about it as well as the song exploder about Surrender because it reminded me that I actually once covered Surrender in one of my bands Ooh. and it was a bitch for me to learn, not musically, but the lyrics, because a lot of it doesn't rhyme. And uh, yeah. I wonder uh, about that. Rick Nielsen doesn't really talk about that aspect of it on the episode of The Thing, but uh, do you ever, I don't, I can't remember, do you write songs that don't rhyme? Do you write lyrics that don't rhyme? There was a lot of them at, at the beginning. Like if you like, like listen to stuff off the first record, like, bag of hammers or like the verse of cynic there's a lot of songs on that record that don't rhyme um there's some like really there's almost like a, a thing in high five and where it plays with what you think the rhyme is going to be and then it's not you know i don't mm. think that mm -hmm. song's got a lot of rhyming stuff but the but but yeah i mean the the opening line of uh of surrender when it comes in and it doesn't rhyme you never know what you'll catch yeah. It's like, you know, you're onto something there, but then sometimes it does rhyme. Like right. by the third verse, he's rhyming. Right. And I wonder, is this, is this all deliberate for Rick Nielsen? Was he not even thinking about what, like, that's what fucks me up even more is that some of it rhymes. And it's like, what, is there a methodology or is him? He's just sort of like, I don't care. Like he's just sort of sloppy with the lyrics. And it's like, if it rhymes, it rhymes. And if it doesn't, I don't care. Not rhyming is so weird. I don't know. You know, I, it seemed like maybe, he did it, and then after a while, didn't care about it anymore. You know what I mean? You. And I, I haven't gone through. I can't remember. But do most of his lyrics not rhyme? 
Does he do that a lot in other songs? No, no, he rhymes a lot. He he, he writes regular songs. <laughs> is it is it Rick writing all the stuff for Cheap Trick, or, or did he let, let the rest, rest of the guys do stuff? Pretty much. Back in the day, it was pretty much mostly Rick. And then... Uh, then it was Desmond Child. <laughs> I don't know. No, wait, who wrote The Flame? That was not Desmond. That oh, was that uh, Desmond. That was... Uh, was that Diane Warren? Or was something that the one? that? Oh, it's even worse. Was it the no, one who wrote nothing that is worse than Desmond Child. What's going on song? <laughs> who wrote that one? No, What's Her Face wrote that. Linda oh, Perry wrote that. Yeah. Right. Come on, producer. Come on, producer. Who, who wrote The Flame? Oh, you want me to find out? Glenn Ballard. <laughs> no, not even Glenn Ballard. Glenn Ballard. I, I can't look. I only have one screen. But they, they did... Uh, other members started writing like Robin starts Robin's a really good writer himself like I believe Robin wrote I can't take it um I could be wrong about that but but on that self-titled record that they put out on Red Ant um they're all writing on that well, according one. to this it's a power ballad written by British songwriters Bob Mitchell and Nick Graham really okay well I don't even know who they are I got that all wrong I mean, even that song, you know, I, I know how cheesy the production is, but damn, Xander's voice sells it for me. It yeah, I like that song. Sings the fuck out of it. I, I like it more than the band seemed to for a while. Uh, yeah. And yeah, then it they definitely also, tried to downplay that for a it while. It steals the intro from some other, some older song. Um, nature's, nature's Way. Mother Nature's Son? No, no, Nature's Way by... Uh, by Spirit. Nature's Way by Spirit. You ready? Oh, dude. Spirit. Spirit got Stairway to Heaven ripped off Spirit. They got a shaft. I hear it. Not that much, but, you know, it's just a suspended chord. Everybody can write a suspended, use a suspended chord. Right? Is it okay? Man, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was busy playing this song very loudly. Just a suspended chord in there. Yeah, but it's also, it's the way they're playing it on the acoustic like that. It's the beginning yeah. of the flame and the beginning. Well, what's that spirit song that, uh, that Stairway to Heaven ripped off? Oh, yeah. You know about this, Gabe? I do, and I can't believe they lost the battle in court because that is a ripoff of the song. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close to being original. Jimmy, Jimmy Page is pretty goddamn brazen. Yeah, they got a good judge on their side, a guy that probably doesn't know what he's doing. You think so? Yeah, Spirit should have been rich off that album. I don't think that's it. Hey, this is like some intro music. I'll cut this part out. This is Spirit. It's called Taurus or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's just thievery. Yeah. <laughs> 
Open and shut case, Johnson. Apparently <laughs> not. So when you were in gratitude, what was that? I mean, you guys were on we're on Atlantic. Atlantic. We're so oh. yeah, that was that was crazy. So that dude Jonah that I just mentioned, he had he was in a band called Far in the early nineties. Uh, they toured with Deftones a lot. They came I remember Far. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he had done a bunch of stuff. Him and this guy named Mark Weinberg, who had a band called Crumb. I think mm-hmm. also had major label records. Mark just knew everyone in the industry. They decided they were going to start a band. And before we even played a show or signed Atlantic Records, like Mark just knows the people. Right. They're like, hey, man, you're going to manage us. Jonah's going to sing. We're going to build a band. Mark and Jonah just started going to presidents, playing acoustic. We got five songs written or whatever. Right. They got a deal right away because, like I said, Mark had a buddy named Jason who was in this big management company at the time. They figured it out. Jonah pulled me in. Right away, because they needed. They kind of had everyone. What is Jonah doing now? Just sang, just sang in that band. I mean, what's yeah. he doing now? Uh, he's like he's a lifer. He, yeah. He does. Uh, I just produced his last record. Just came out. Uh, it came out over the pandemic as a solo record. And I think he's going to re-release it under his old name. He had this. Uh, he called it one line drawing. It was basically uh-huh. just him. So, right. right. Um, he was on Jade Tree for a long time. Is it nice? Very, very successful man. Like yeah. he makes unique recordings for people and. Literally, like he just he ekes it out, you know. Yeah. Uh, he ekes out a living, and he's still doing it. Um, but yeah, so he had that he had that deal of cooking, and he brought me in, and it was like it was literally like the I don't know if it was like the whirlwind major label thing. We went from zero no shows at all to in one of the nicest studios in LA, which was Cello at the time. I think it's East West. Now it's changed names a zillion times, but like Pet Sounds was recorded across the hall. You know, Sinatra, blah blah blah, like. We were in there for three months with Jim Scott, Jesus who, Christ. you know, engineered Wildflowers, amongst yeah. many other things. But, like, we did the thing where we're, like, SIR, and, like, okay, you're going to play for Rick Rubin, you're going to play for Jim Scott. And these dudes would just come sit on a couch, and we'd play six songs or whatever, and, and then they'd leave. And, uh, we picked Jim just because Jim was super cool. He was like, I have an engineer, but I'm at the studio every day. We, were, we started asking producers, like, are you there every day? Or are you, like, what's your thing? Because we found out pretty quick, like, a Rick Rubin, you can get him a couple hours a day or a couple hours a week sometimes. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And then they have, but they have great engineers who are certainly capable. But Jim was like, I'm there every day. I roll up my sleeves. We make these records. And, you know, like I said, he made Wildflowers and Slayer records and Stones <laughs> records. And, and, and he was just so mellow History. and, like, just yeah. classic Hollywood, and I wouldn't have changed it for a thing. Like he was, he was the best, you know. And, and Atlantic spent a fucking fortune on us somehow right. for no. Like we were told, we basically got the last big record deal because mm-hmm. you know three months at Cello plus two apartments at the Oakwoods and a rental car and Jim Scott and this and like I think the record was four hundred thousand. The first video was ninety grand. No one ever heard of us. It was a glorious time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And all that money just yeah. fill out. Dude, like, oh, all right, we're gonna make the video. Blah blah blah. Okay, cool. So like, you know, we get the car picks us up in the morning from the nice hotel on Sunset Strip. It was all the stupid shit, wow. you know. And we like drive over a hill to Malibu, and there's dudes on gators and the fucking star wagon <laughs> things, and we're just like. Me and my buddy Dave, I ended up pulling Dave, my drummer, from attention into the band because another, you know, the classic label thing. Our drummer got canned on the record right away. Oh, really? Pretty, it wasn't good enough? Wasn't, wasn't cutting it. So Kenny Arnoff and Matt Chamberlain came. <laughs> Again, just like, like Kenny. just money. He get does it, just yeah. throw everything. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was on tour at the time with Melissa Etheridge and took two days off and came in and did like six songs in a day and then left or whatever, you know. Right. Um, 
Just another, but just just another, another day that, for Kenny. Well, yeah, and just that Atlantic Records thing. Oh, shit, we need a drummer. Well, Chamberlain's working with so-and-so, right. and he's across the hall, so we can get him. Jim knows Kenny. He was like, we should call Taylor Hawkins. Like, yeah, like, let's do yeah. that, dude. I want <laughs> like, Kenny's cool, but I want to hang out with Taylor Hawkins right, right. more than Kenny. Kenny was cooler than him. Yeah, but, uh, did you wear sunglasses we when you recorded with you? I think he did. So $400,000, and you brought your buddy. You brought your buddy from attention. And oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I brought him in because, yeah, going back to the just the label, the whirlwind label thing. The drummer got fired. I brought him in. We did a couple of bus tours. We toured with Jimmy World. We did um, the warp tour. A bunch of warp tour. And then as the story goes, and obviously we weren't there, Lior, who was the head of Warner Music at the time, yeah. walked in and goes, who the fuck is Gratitude and why do I have over a million dollars into him? Right. And we were dropped the next day. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Lior Cohen doesn't For, fuck pretty around. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah? Are, are you going to go to Oshkosh, Bagosh? I can. I'm working. I have to show people New Order, which I'm sure is going to go over like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen it yet? No. But I saw oh. this. I told you I saw this guy's newer mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I'm surprised Sunday. they let that guy make another movie. Tim, no, I know, and it's great. The new one is great. Yeah, well, New Order is, uh, you know, bring, bring bring some drinks. You're gonna have a great time. I don't know where it came from. Michael says it often, and I do believe it's true. Like music and this whole life, whether you want to call it, however you want to wrap it up, with touring and everything else, just music in general. It chooses you, and if you're just there, and that's like, I feel like music chose me. Like I don't, I don't see a checkout day of like, ah, one day I'll just figure out a way to like do something else. Right. And, like I'll do this until I'm done because there's no retirement plan. And, right. Uh, uh, I remember uh, being in in high school, and they're like, well, what's your fallback? Yeah. You know, what's your plan B? And I'm like, I don't have. One. I was always that asshole. Yeah. I like, Fuck that. Right. Like, they're just trying to help. Yeah. Right. But yeah, but it's like if you've got a fallback, you're gonna go to your fallback. You know. Yeah, I just don't, I'm not even interested in anything else. I don't want to, like, there's nothing else to, like, oh, I could do this, or it's like... Yeah. Yeah. This is the other stuff, like, well, I guess I could fix guitars, or yeah. record records, or it's all the same shit to me, so... Right. The guitar guy, the bass guy, the right. drummer, or the recording guy. You right. Have your, or the guitar you have tech, or whatever. out in a many right. different angles, so it's, you're not just like, oh, fuck, nobody's right. looking for a bass I player. keep joking about it with Rat, our bus driver, I'm like, why do I feel like I'm going to be the dude who ends up 68 driving these goddamn <laughs> like because I'll still be here just like well fuck it I'm making right. more than any of these assholes right. in the back and, right right know. right um you know what I watched last night speaking of a great time I finally uh, I, on the I 77 don't. inch tv busted out Annette oh yeah how was it I fought with it for a while and then it kind of got me by the gotcha end. it's an opera I mean it's a it's an opera yes it's almost entirely I know. sung but I mean, not, it's an opera, and I'm not an opera guy. Right. But it's an opera in the way that it's completely this melodramatic, lots of death and heartache, and you know. Mm-hmm. So everything about it is an opera. Well, Umbrellas of Cherbourg is a, an opera, and that's one of my favorite movies. But I remember seeing a, this opera, this movie, and then it was an opera about. Re- remember uh, that that ship that got. Uh, the pirates, um, Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp. No, it, 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 it got the, the boat got hijacked and, and they, uh, oh, yeah. executed the guy in the wheelchair over the, boat. yes. Yeah. So there's a movie and it's, and the, that whole thing is as an opera. And I wanted to t- 
tear my head off watching that movie. I was so angry at it. Well, if you like Holy Motors, you'll there's, there's stuff about this you'll like because Leos Carax is a kind of crazy filmmaker and right. I'm in. The fact that the, that Annette is played by this puppet is pretty awesome. Oh, hey, hey, hey. sorry. All right, this That's isn't Gabe talking. <laughs> Speaking of crazy, has anybody watched Malignant? No, but I do hear that's crazy. What the hell is going on with that movie? I can't tell if it's brilliant or awful. It's probably awful, James Wan. Or it's brilliant. Or it's brilliant. I mean, this movie goes off the rails in a spectacular way. What else we got? We got any more uh, comments or questions? Yes. Um... Uh, somebody said they still have a bark market poster in their basement. <laughs> Can I tell you that? So I know you said maybe we'll bring Mike Lustig on for his own episode. Yeah. But he listened to that episode and he's like, insult to injury. <laughs> he said, because uh, I was, uh, you know, he heard that thing about him going out to lunch with D. Sardi and D. Sardi not remembering me. He's like, not only did D. Sardi not remember you, he goes, I don't remember that story at all. I don't remember anything about having lunch with Dave Sardi. I don't remember him asking him about you. Did you just make that up? Like no, you made up that no, story about... No. I know what I know. This definitely happened. Okay. I told him to go talk to Chris Kennedy, the lead singer from Ruth Ruth, and he would remind him that that actually happened. So did he remember? He hasn't done that yet, but he will. You just make up story. You're a little fibber, aren't you? <laughs> What's that from? I don't know. I just said it just it's now. Uh, I feel like it's a Bill Murray line. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. No, 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 no. It's when those those little fibbers in that coffee. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, what's her name? Uma Thurman in um, Pulp Fiction. Oh, but she didn't say Part of that, fibber. Did she say little fibbers? No. So she says, little, you little scamps. You little, you little scamps, right. You little scamps you when said you get it. together. You sounded like Uma Thurman just now, Scott. Hey, do I look like Uma Thurman? So you met Michael first out of the, yep. the Soul Asylum yep. guys. Met Michael first, was obviously totally familiar with Soul Asylum's music, and I had kind of met those guys here and there over the years, like just in a guitar shop or whatever, I'd bump into Danny or whatever. I didn't know him, but it was like, oh, Soul yeah. Asylum dude or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I like the old guitar player, this guy named Justin, who came in for a short while after Danny, before Ryan, I had done some recording with him, and just in passing, he was like, Solosan was looking for a new guitar tech, and blah, blah, blah. I was I was just missing the road. I had been kind of out of attention for a while. I did some other stuff. I played. I did some fill-in tours playing with this band called The Jealous Sound from Los Angeles. Um, I just did a couple other things, but I was bored and just like, man, that could be cool, and I love that band, and I'm sure they probably had a pretty comfortable scenario as far as touring and da-da-da. You know, Justin's like, oh, yeah, you should check it out. He's like, I mean, there's a couple little subtleties that you'll have to figure out how to navigate, but you should meet the guys or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, so I went down to rehearsal, and the first rehearsal I got to, Ryan was there. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like, I came in through Justin. I knew Michael a little bit, but Justin kind of set up the, like, you should come in as a tech. He mentioned that to Michael, and Michael's like, oh, yeah, JT, I know that cat. That might be all right, you know. So, right. So I show up and Ryan was there, and Ryan also knows that I play guitar, and we walk in at the same time. So he has no idea what's going on. He literally is like, "Hey, dude, 
the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> you know, and we're, and we're both, yeah, we're both kind of like, and then, you know, I kind of hung out to watch practice and that practice ended up being one of Ryan's kind of early auditions or whatever. So we kind of came in around the same time. Um, to your buddy, I had no idea this stuff was going on. Uh, I think he knew. I think he knew that there was going to be something happening. Right, right. I'm not totally sure. Like a couple of weeks had gone. You know, like I talked to Justin. Blah blah blah. Okay, I'm going to put you in touch with Janine. And then I started talking to Janine. And then a couple of weeks went by. And by the time I got there, there was some there was changes being made. Uh-huh. You know, so. Yeah. So me and Ryan basically came through the door the same day, more or less. What was the conversation like for you to go from teching to playing bass? How did that happen? It was a little weird. As you can imagine. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, I know, what am I trying to say? It makes sense to me. Like, when you come into a band as a tech, you're the tech. Mm -hmm. It's all good, whatever. Of course you might play or whatever, but I don't know. You're looked at, I don't, you're not looked at differently, but whatever, that's your role. So if you're all of a sudden like, hey, man, I can do this, it's like, okay, well, can you? Because some some dudes can, but a lot of dudes probably can't or whatever. So they have a bass player named Winston who has been in the band for quite a while but he lives in New York he's been playing on Broadway he's been often busy so I watched a lot of other bass players fill in and some of them did an okay job and some of them I thought did a terrible job and I was just I was just getting to the point where I was like A I want to get back to playing like getting back on the road and being in tech and everything is cool but it's not really scratching the itch B I'm watching some of these clowns not keeping up fuck this you know and I talked to Michael and it was just like I don't know. Can you do it? I'm like, I think I can, man. And, I was like, and then, like, it's funny, like, all of a sudden it's like, well, we need someone to do some rehearsals because Winston's in New York and blah, blah, blah. So let's start with some rehearsals. And we do that. I'm like, okay, not bad. And then and the next thing you know, I'm in the studio. And it's like, well, we'll just, you know, just play along so we have some bass on the thing. But it'll probably get replaced later, just so you know, or whatever. But then, like, John Fields is like... Like, and JT sounds great, man. The band sounds, you know, and it's yeah. like, and then all, you know, Michael starts doing the like, hmm. he's the first one to perk the <laughs> <Yeah>. ear up. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it's like, it's like, well, you know, someone will talk to Perm. They're like, well, what's up, man? Why isn't JT your bass player? Too fucking tall. You know, it's yeah. just like, really, dude? You know. Uh, it's a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It just was kind of like a chip away. I'd rehearse for a while and then they'd bring someone else in and that wouldn't work out. And then I was just, I finally just, I guess it worked out in my favor, but I was just like, I'm out of here. I'm not teching anymore. Like, I can't watch this all happen. It's just, this sucks. I think I should do it. So, right. you guys keep rocking. Have a great time. I'm not, I can't, I can't tech for other bass players that are not playing as well as I think I could. Yeah. So, I kind of put my foot down, and then all of a sudden it worked. And I was like, uh-huh. Winston couldn't make the next tour, and it could, would I be willing to go? I'm like, of course. That's what I, you know, whatever. So, and I don't know, I'm still here until, yeah. they, nice. until they ask me not to come back. Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know, Gabe, what's up over there? Oh, Gabe just drank uh, his cat. I'm, I'm trying to get some snacks. My favorite snack is peanut M&M's. So. You mean you still have room in your stomach after that fantastic Tijuana Flats meal? Or whatever it's called. It was, it, was an early, it was an early dinner for us, so now I need to... It went right in and right out. No, no, no. Nothing about the toilet here. You guys are fascinated with the toilet for some reason. Everybody knows that what we do in Shadow... What we do in the shadows is back, right? Mm-hmm. So that first episode where they make uh, Colin Robinson a scat freak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. Some of the best poop jokes. I mean, poop is back in a big motherfucking way. Like John Waters was a prophet. Like between White Lotus 
and all the excellent poop jokes that are in the first two episodes of what we do in the shadows. Shit is here. Shit is king. Gabe? <laughs> John Waters. Not to be confused with Paul Rogers or Roger Waters, which I always do. Who would do? Who? What? I do. There's too many Rogers. Anyway, no. What does John. Rogers have to do with John Waters? What does Paul the... Rogers have to do with John <laughs> Waters? It's all right now. I don't know. I just get all these people mixed up. Paul Rogers, Roger Waters, and John Waters. Oh, they're all the same people. Again, I got to ask, are you drunk? <laughs> oh, I see. You're saying Roger Waters is the bridge between Paul Rogers and John Waters. He's the guy that has... If you're playing this dumb game where you're trying to like... Oof. No, I get people's names mixed up. He's for coming for you. I'm dyslexic when it comes to people's names. Remember, Scott, back in the day, I got... I got Ricky Rackman. Is that you laughing at the end of Back in the Day? <laughs> I got Ricky Rackman and Gary Richrath mixed up. Remember that? <laughs> well, that makes sense. Gary Rotrath? Richrath, whatever his name Richroth? is. Richroth? Yes. Rotrath? Him and Ricky Rackman mixed up, and I, I called somebody Rick Rackrock, Ratchroth or something, and you didn't know who uh, I was talking about, and I couldn't stop laughing. I was on the floor at Denny's one day. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember. You thought it was <laughs> hilarious. Scott. <laughs> Look at him. Mar what? Mark Lodge <laughs> says, did you pull Hallelujah, I'm a Bum from Beer for Breakfast? Now, I think Beer for Breakfast is a replacements B-side. No. I no, didn't I didn't. So. I pulled it from the, the movie. Right. Anthony mm. Kim says, I'm still laughing that none of you know what emo is. Yeah, I know when you start defining it, you get all twisted up and think the police are now an emo band. But it's like porn. You know it when you hear it. Oh, this could be a good place to go to uh, Jeremy talking about emo and his time and uh, gratitude. Yeah. I didn't get to hear that interview. How did it go? So what was your Minneapolis scene like? I, I grew up in Wisconsin okay. um, and started a band. Well, I've been in, you know, whatever, been in a bazillion bands. But at one point, I ended up starting my own band, a band called Attention. Right. And, and you're still doing that? No, not really. Not really anymore. Kind of went away when the drummer finally bailed out a few years ago. We made a record after he uh, left where I played drums, but that was kind of like the, the end of it. I don't know. It felt like, ah, my lineup is gone and I don't have a reason to write songs right, for Right, but you were playing guitar. I was playing guitar and singing. Where in Wisconsin ago, were you? I was born in Milwaukee, lived there until eighth grade, and then halfway through eighth grade, I think my mom saw my friends and like where they were going and my cousins and shit and was like I gotta get him out of Milwaukee Wow! I gotta get him my dad lived in Madison okay so not too far uh, and much nicer town yeah. Milwaukee Milwaukee's getting better all the time it is it was pretty it was a little dingy uh, then yeah yeah and it's like my friends were smoking pot way early and starting to do drugs and she was just, I don't know, she was just worried about me. She also, to be totally honest, had like an asshole boyfriend. Uh -huh. And I would like go to school and be like, this guy's fucking, you gotta, you gotta get him out of here, you know, or whatever. So right. I don't really know the full story. There may have been, a, like, I may have had to move without mm -hmm. even knowing. Like, you go to school and say some shit just because you're trying to fucking Associate, do whatever. Yeah. But like, I think then they call a social worker and like some shit may have happened behind the scenes that I never found out about. But anyway, so halfway through eighth grade, I end up in Madison living with my dad and right. did high school and that whole thing. And then kind of around high school. So there was started. a good scene in Madison. Yeah. Madison was great. Yeah. 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 Promise Ring. Like I was going to say Pachinko? Promise Ring, dude. Oh, I remember Pachinko. Yeah. Um, Power Wagon? 
I remember Power Wagon. I don't know if I saw him, but I remember that I sticker. Power Wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, best. It was like best. the hardcore band was like None Left Standing was the band at the time that we all looked up to. They were a couple years older than us. and They, right. were, they ended up being the dudes in the Promise Ring, or a couple of them. Um, Peabody, Mr. Peabody. Yeah, yeah. And it was the, it was cool because it was basement shows and you would go see like a Discord band would be playing in the basement. Like yeah. I saw like, I, I saw the first real Madison basement show I saw was like the Get Up Kids promise ring mineral and maybe like one other band and it was like five bucks and it was just like it was that you know that kind of whatever that second wave post sunny day real estate albums the emo thing yeah really kicking around madison it was like you were either into that or ska (laughs) and i never liked ska i I do like fishbone and there's a couple like outliers but it sucked because like if you're in an emo band, you were playing on like 30 kids, and if you're in a fucking ska band, you play like 300 kids. Yeah, right. So to to yeah. So I played in it both. So <laughs> I played in a crappy. But you you were proudly emo. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I, I kind of when I first landed, because I like I said I switched halfway through eighth grade, so you get that weird. I was the new kid at school, and you show up and like I was leaving Milwaukee, where like I was in a predominantly black school. Right, yeah. uh, and kids were into hip hop and like skateboarder indie rock kids with residence t-shirts and shit on uh-huh. were like kind of weird and then I showed up in Madison and didn't really know how to land and like everyone was even more like indie rock than me kind of yeah. like, Madison was cool so it was like okay I, yeah something I don't know so I jumped yeah I kind of jumped into that I guess that basement emo scene of the late mid late 90s right. I guess you know somewhere in there cause we talked about this on this show before like what is emo? Because um, I don't really think I know what emo is. I don't is. either. It's just a term, and then the term like bent emo. all the way to like Fallout Boy now or whatever. Yeah. Or you know. But it goes all the way back to Rights of Spring. Yeah, yeah. And we were right. talking to to Rick from Drive Like Jehu, and right. I was like, "Are you emo?" And he's like, "I don't fucking." Know. Yeah, it, it was just it was. I think it was just a word for when the hardcore bands started writing soft verses essentially uh-huh. and started maybe singing a little more and do you think Drive Like Jehu is emo? no I would call him indie rock what about Quicksand? mmm fine mm. line to me Quicksand's just a rock band I but know. like Sunny Day Real Estate is an emo band yeah but I don't, they have just their... because of Enoch's voice probably exactly. the music the, yeah. it's like I don't know it's just like I don't know and then there's like you know you could start going like well I guess then there's waves of emo like there's waves of ska like I guess My Chemical Romance is emo so are they fifth wave of emo or I don't know know. and Jimmy Eat World Jimmy Eat World is kind of they would be kind of considered I think probably the the, I don't know almost the forefather of the the later all those early 2000s bands Jimmy World's their favorite band that music sounds like Pop rock. It sounds like cheap trick. I don't. Absolutely. I can't. I can't figure out what emo is supposed to fucking be. That's why labels are dumb. So they don't think we know what emo is. I know I don't. And then, then people were yelling at me that yes, of course they're they're saying that uh, Pedro the Lion, which who I brought up, is much more emo than it is math. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. I would agree. With I that. said it was a weird thing. I, I just something about it made it be reminded me of that other band. That's Cindy okay. Yip, remember her? Uh, she says, uh, talking about Melrose Place, she says, while not, quote, teen drama, as in people in it were teenagers, it definitely appealed to people who liked watching that stuff. So there you go. Right. I, I, I know. People, people that watched Melrose Place watched 90210. I mean, Melrose Place was a spinoff of 90210, right? Right. 
So yeah, oh, was it was it? part part of the package. It was like people who watched Knots Landing, of course, oh, watched Dallas. Are there crossover characters between Nine Hundred Two One Zero and Melrose? Doesn't it have something to do with it, Gabe? I think there might have been one of the guys from Nine Hundred Two One Zero went there and might have dated somebody that was older, and then they just let it be its own show, kind of like Laverne and Shirley with Happy Days. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. sure. Yeah. That's a spinoff. Yeah. There you That's go. like when Maud got her own show <laughs> after uh, All in the Family. Was she on All in the 30, Family? Thirty something episodes. We get to Maud finally, and then there's Maud. So, hey buddy, what's up? I, I was doing sound in this place tonight. Bizarre. Bizarre. Yep. Why? Because their rig was super tiny. Their anglo is super tight. The rig was super tiny. Okay. So like, there was more firepower pointed the wrong direction than the right direction. Uh, here comes, here comes, Burner's dick again. Go ahead. What? So it was bad. Um, it was bizarre. It wasn't the worst because the room itself sounded really good. Like the acoustics of the room were really good, and I was able to juice the system enough where I made it work. It was just a very unique set of challenges. I would yes. say. You like the challenges? You like the challenge? You like the challenge? You like a little bit of a challenge. 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 You like a little bringing that in uh and maybe i can get you to tell this story although i doubt i can get you to do it but when i heard who was it ryan or jeremy ryan was in the middle ryan, ryan, was was, ryan that's ryan's band yeah and i thought wait i know the name of this band and i realized i knew it because i think that john hour from the posies produced some of or at least one of their albums that makes sense and then i thought maybe scott will tell us why he hates ken stringfellow from the posies because he sucks. <laughs> Gabe, do you know why? I didn't even know you knew anything about the posies. I just. <laughs> what are you I've eating? Never heard them. What do you got there? Peanut, what are you eating? Peanut oil? Peanut M Ms. Peanut M Ms. The finest candy. Name a better candy than peanut M Ms. I like a Take Five. I like a Whatchamacallit. I like a Hundred Gram Bar. But pretty good. See, I had a whole fucking list. I got him. Here's something I want to clear up. Um, Ryan was talking about. You were asking Ryan a couple episodes ago why he's not on the Dreaming cover. Yeah, that's on the right. And he was talking about how you know his Clem Burke, like you know he couldn't measure up his performance of Clem Burke's parts wasn't measuring up. That's not the reason. Now that wasn't the problem. Turns out Green Day released a cover of Dreaming last year. And the version that we were working on sounds almost exactly like the Green Day version. So that's why we opted for the acoustic one. Um, I was like, fuck that. You know, we're not going to, we can't compete with Green Day uh, on this. But uh, yeah, Ryan nailed the drums. That wasn't the problem. The problem was just go head to head against Green Day, you're going to lose. Well, I don't know about that. I disagree with that statement, but okay. You don't you know like Green, Green Day, Day. Ben? No, I always thought Green Day was kind of bullshit. Although I, I liked the American Idiot album. It came around. Mm, I used to get into wrong. fights with 
I got into fights with people. Green Day was always getting put up head to head among my circle of idiot friends. Uh, Green Day versus Everclear, and I was always in the Everclear camp. This was back in the Santa Monica versus whatever the fuck Green Day was doing that. Uh, Dookie, I guess. Dookie versus whatever the name of that Everclear album is. Dookie's Forever a killer record. What's the name of that Everclear album with Santa Monica? I don't know. Everclear. Featuring Everclear. Sparkle and Fade. What's, what's worse? Uh, Billy Joe's fake fake British accent or Sting's fake Jamaican accent? <laughs> Billy Joe's British accent. <laughs> In my opinion. No. All right, I'm out of stuff. stuff so. Yeah, this is going to be a melange, if you will. A, is uh, it a word? Like, Rouge? put those bits in there like the Oreos in a blizzard. Okay. Yeah, but we could have stopped in, uh, we could have stopped in Nashville last night. I'll never hear the end of it. And, and we didn't, we just stopped, stopped someplace. Well, those two are longtime buddies. Who? You and Blake. It's Blake boring. likes you too. No, no, I'm just saying they're longtime buddies. Where every time we all, all right, so together, we here's what happens: we're up. driving. All right, tell me, what do you think about this? So we're we're driving, and then uh, a friend of mine goes, he's like, he's like, I go, hey, uh, we're driving to uh, Nashville. Are are you there? And he like works for Virgin. Oh, cool. And he goes, actually, I am. I happen to be there. And it's like I'll get you guys, like. Like a room. I'm like, okay. I see it around. I was like, we can get a room. He goes, <sighs> I didn't. I don't know. I don't know if I want a room. And then the guy is like, he's like, listen, I'll get you guys a room. It'll be free. Do you guys want whiskey in your room? I go, yeah. So he gets whiskey in the room, and he goes, he goes, and, and just so you, and and I, I tell him, I'm like, I, he's giving you whiskey in the room. He's like, oh, are we supposed to party all night with this guy? And then, uh, this is all and, no, this is the truth. And then Blake goes, he goes, little John's going to be there. And little John wants to hang out with you guys. And I'm going to set you guys up all night with little John. And he goes like this, exactly what are you doing right now? He goes, I don't want to hang out with little John. I didn't say so that. So we end up going to like there. some little town. And, and I'm one of the top in Clarksville. What would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have hung out with Little John all night in Nashville? I don't know who Little John is. What? <laughs> so what is the best blizzard? What candy makes the best blizzard is the question. Mm. The Heath Bar. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the Heath Bar. The little Heath Really? Wow. Because I mean, I'm going for... Oreo? Oreos, yeah. Fuck yeah. Second being peanut M&M's. Or maybe second being... Now the Reese's Pieces. Reese's peanut butter cups. Not the pieces. The peanut butter same cups. Same thing. It's just a candy shell. It's not the same thing. The candy shell completely changes the, uh, the equation. For the better. Who? Reese's Pieces are better than Reese's peanut butter cups? Yes. Reese's Pieces no. you can eat and not stop eating. The peanut butter cups, you get them stuck in your teeth, forget it. It's over. Well, you're supposed to take the, them out of the wrapper before you eat them. Yeah, what are you getting stuck in your teeth from the Reese's peanut butter cups? It's the little smooth. black wrapper, the little cupcake yeah, just, wrapper that they no, sit no, on. No, no, no. That, that 
that peanut butter stuff is just way too much. Give me a little bit. <laughs> that peanut butter stuff? You mean peanut uh, butter? Rem- well, what I will say is I love a Butterfinger, but that fucking thing is impossible to get out of your teeth. What about seaweed when you have seaweed salad? Yeah. It's like eating a bowl of dental floss. <laughs> Somebody finally convinced me to try chia seeds, and those things took about three days to get out of my teeth. <laughs> I tried those. Yeah, I don't... Mm-mm. I'm not... Uh, maybe yeah. someday, but sure. no. Okay. All right, well, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you guys. <laughs> Scott, good luck on the last two nights of your... Thanks, Ben. Dave Perner Love Fest tour. Thank you. And then I, uh, good luck on your, what you, everyone seems to be calling, and I mostly mean you and Gabe, the Radke tour. It's almost like you, they're, you're opening for them the way you talk about this. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. <laughs> Which, it's, that, just, it's just the only way that we can uh, differentiate. Uh, why can't you just say it's your headlining tour or it's your lifers retour or whatever? I mean, well, I'm not saying know, it shouldn't be promoted. We're not, but. you know, we're not like, you know, all up in our ego man we, you know it doesn't matter you know music is music we just want to tour with our bros right right I mean we're all in the same gang Ben you know it's uh, just about making people happy man bringing a little light into the world you yeah. know what I mean bro Gabe did I ever tell you the Taco Bell dog story I don't think so Taco Bell dog yeah, so I don't know if maybe it, did I tell you this one, Ben? So we were working on Pack Up the Cats and um, and Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick movie comes out, right? <laughs> Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick movie, yeah. Yeah, the Matthew Broderick version of Godzilla. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, the Roland Emmerich one, right? Yeah. Who I, I think, think Zaria Godzilla. I, who, by it. the way, I think Roland Emmerich is brilliant. Uh, I love all of his movies. Um, uh-huh. but. So that that comes out, and and the guy Nick Dedia, who's mixing Pack Up the Cats, did some work on the soundtrack uh, with some of the, you know, I forget which bands he worked on, but but there were a few. Um, and I'm like, hey, let's go see Godzilla. You know, you got music in, and he's like, I want to go see that shit. He's like, come on, we got to go. He's like, fine, let's go. So we go, and it's like Saturday night, opening weekend. Place is fucking packed. We're in Atlanta. And everybody's just having a great time. The movie's on, and people can tell already that it's not very good. And so, get in the middle of it, and this guy starts yelling out, Where the Taco Bell dog at? Where the Taco Bell dog at? And just everyone's laughing. He just kept yelling that. And I was like, Yeah, where is the Taco Bell dog at? I mean, it was the best film criticism I think I've ever heard in my life. The only thing missing from this fucking movie was the Taco Bell dog. I mean, that guy nailed it. Right. Did I tell you that story, Gabe? You might have told me it before. Was, this, was there a lot of product placement in the movie? Is that what it was? No, but t- I think Taco Bell had a whole tie-in commercial ad campaign. Right, they had like a whole ta- campaign. Right, and so you would see these Taco Bell commercials and they might as well have been ads for the movie. And so I can right. easily understand why somebody would go to see Godzilla. Right. So Godzilla would, you'd see Godzilla's foot and then you'd see the Taco Bell dog go, yo quiero Taco Bell. And so this guy's like, where the Taco Bell dog at? <laughs> and people ate, ate it up. This would probably get cut out.
Do you want to say anything about Norm Macdonald? Speaking of stuff that'll get cut out. Uh, that sucks. I mean, I love, 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 love Norm Macdonald. And, um, like, you know, I, I can't count the number of times I've gone down the rabbit hole with his Saturday Night Live stuff. I mean, and he just kills me, just kills me at how funny he is. Um, I love that bit that he does about being tricked by his friend into killing, killing everybody. And he comes back to you and he's like, oh, leader of the hoary netherworld. Like his friend tricks him into thinking he's Satan. And then he takes off his mask and he's like, oh, it's like, hi, it's me, Bob. And he's like, oh, you got me, Bob. Uh, that's really funny. Maybe we should end with that. Uh, you try to be a good person now, eh? That's the best thing. A lot of bad people, man. A lot of bad guys. I was reading this one guy in a paper, you know? Baddest guy I ever read about. This guy killed his family, if you believe this, folks. Killed his family because the devil told him to. Can you believe that? Man, what a dork, huh? That was the headline, actually. What a dork! Yeah, he kills his family because the devil told him to. Well, can you imagine that? And then afterwards, you go back to the devil, and you, know, you go, yes, devil, I did as you instructed. I, I slaughtered my family as they lay sleeping, and then I chopped them up and put them in a duffel bag. Here they are. I got them here in a duffel bag. I'll be burying them tonight at the shallow grave by the side of the railroad track. As you have commanded, oh, Lord, host of the hoary netherworld. And then the devil pulls off a mask. It's me, Bob! <laughs> Then you go, hi, Bob! Jeez, you got me there, Bob, you got me. Is my face red or what over here? I got my family in a duffel bag. There's a poor on a western bay and it serves a hundred ships a day lonely sailors pass the time away and talk about their homes and there's a girl in this horror town and she works laying whiskey down they say brandy fetch another round she serves them whiskey and wine the sailors say, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Yeah, your eyes could steal a sailor from the sea. Brandy wears a braided chain made of finest silver from the north of Spain. A locket that bears the name of the man that Brandy loved He came on a summer's day bringing gifts from far away but he made it clear he could not stay no harbor was his home The sailors said Brandy you're a fine girl what a good wife you would be but my life, my love is a sea 
Yeah, Brandy used to watch his eyes when he told his sailor story. He could feel the ocean fall and rise. She saw its raging glory. But he had always told the truth, Lord, he was an honest man. And Brandy does her best to understand. When the bars close down, Brandy walks through a silent town and loves a man that's not around. She still can't hear him say, The sailor said, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. But my life, my love, my lady. My love, my lady, is a sea.